Welcome to the Christopher Peter Review. My name is Christopher Peter and welcome to a special edition of the Christopher Peter Review. In this special edition, I will discuss patriotism in America and why we should love America and we will discuss the recent Supreme Court cases. I am proud to be an American, a sentiment I shared last year. For this year's session, I want to go in a bit in depth so that people understand why it is important to be patriotic and love America, despite our shortcomings. So in the face of the current condition of America, the constant state of hysteria, controversy, and division, how can Americans still hold the same level of patriotism as we had in the past? I think we should have a realistic perspective of our nation rather than an idealistic one. Understand there is no perfect nation or perfect society. Ones that better fit your desired quality of life and expectation of treatment. I am extremely appreciative to live in a free society that values personal freedom, choice, and affords us the right of self-determination. Choice is important in life. To determine your direction in life, how to live your life, and not be punished for those life choices, as long as your life choices do not impact another person's life choices. As I discussed before, freedom is not really freedom if you completely rely on others to make your life choices sustainable. Then you are tied to the people that make your life choices work. I think there is an importance to ensuring that society can continue to afford people the ability to make their own choices rather than ceding control and decision-making to the government. Understandably, not all people have the capacity to or need some accommodation. But I believe in America it is important that people are at the center of their life and understand that they must live with the consequences of those choices, which will reduce risk. Completely separating consequences can encourage risk-taking beyond the beneficial level. No risk no reward is a concept that drives people to push the boundaries of achievement. But there always needs to be checks and balance to every system. America affords people the freedom to live the lifestyle of their choosing. Sometimes our government does not foster public policy consistent with our strongly held values. At the same time, people sometimes expect more from society than what is truly fair. Part of being free is being self-sufficient and not needing permission. Some people obsess over visibility and desire societal support when they are better off pursuing their life choices without the social crutches. I am extremely appreciative to have the opportunity to live, work, and invest in a free market economy that affords personal opportunity, rewards ambition, and hard work, and empowers the people to determine their economic outcomes. There are more opportunities here in America than anywhere else in the world. Greater ability to bounce back from downturns than anywhere else in the world. A great aspect of America is the ability to be an entrepreneur and control the means of production that sustains your household or to supplement your earnings through passive income with investing. America provides so many opportunities for people regardless of one's background or wealth. There are countless Americans who came into our great nation with little wealth and few possessions and found success. The great thing about our economy is that it rewards effort and does not allow one to rest on your laurels. Each and every day you have to push yourself and go beyond the day before. No nation fosters the same level of real innovation as the American economy. Largely because our economy rewards entrepreneurship, risk-taking, perseverance, and hard work. If you are not happy with your station in life, you are not bound to rely solely on navigating your way up the corporate ladder, but you can also market your skill set outside of your place of employment. Or even become a competitor to the organization that you feel is holding you back. Not easy. But if you have the will you generally will find a way. Consider the history of many of our innovations, where a person was not hired with the company of their dreams, so they developed a competitive product and establishing a new company that challenged the existence of that organization. I read that Blockbuster had the opportunity to own Netflix. A poor decision to pass that cost them dearly. Because of our free market capitalist economy, you have the opportunity to start your own business, access private capital and challenge the status quo. 
Not reliant solely on the government or state-owned companies. Whether you succeed or fail will generally be determined by your effort, timing, or market forces. But many of us simply want to have the freedom to try to improve our stations in life and the opportunity to do so. I appreciate living in a nation that has stood on the side of democracy, freedom, and human rights. Stood on the side that the strong cannot bully the weak and that radicalized ideologies cannot go unchecked. The world is a better place because America exists. The list of American contributions to the world are endless. Save the world from the grip of tyranny not once, not twice, not thrice, but numerous times. Defeating German aggression twice. Countering the global terrorism network. Defeating communism abroad. America is not perfect. No nation can make that claim. There are opportunities for improvement. Opportunities for us to better exemplify and be consistent with the traditional values that make America the most desirable destination for immigration and investment. Some people obsess over our shortcomings or flaws. Sometimes purposefully misleading society or distorting incidents to make false indictments against our society. We have an unacceptable history with racial and other forms of discrimination. And still have issues to this day. But discrimination is becoming a blanket buzzword to distort national discourse or to provide a convenient cover for radical political agendas. Also, we lack consistency on the issue, not wanting to fight all forms of hate. We also overlook our progress to obsess about our shortcomings. America is the most culturally diverse nation in the world. Many nations with considerably less diversity than America struggle with discrimination in the same manner we do. They just do not lose perspective that incidents will occur. Does not mean you lose what is good about society for rare incidents. You can make incidents unacceptable and consequential to the perpetrator without hysteria. All Americans should love America and be proud to see our flag. Appreciate our history, both good and bad, to move forward in a manner that best exemplify our shared values that can build unity, expand freedom, and secure economic prowess and American exceptionalism. There are many great nations in the world. But there is no doubt the United States of America is the greatest nation of them all. Happy Birthday America! Welcome to the CRC Conversation on the Christopher Peter Review, where we discuss leading current events impacting our public policy and the happenings in our political system. In this edition, we are going to discuss the recent rulings released by the United States Supreme Court. This time each year, the Supreme Court releases the decisions from its docket of cases heard during its session. Most years the decisions are somewhat ho-hum. Other years, the decisions hit right at the heart of American society and change how we live life. Last year, the Supreme Court rocked our society with a landmark decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, returning the authority to determine the legality of the controversial practice of abortion to the states. A big win for the pro-life movement. A big issue that helped Democrats at the ballot box in November. This year there were two cases that were highly visible and one that really should not be surprising as it was consistent with past decisions. In this year's session, the Supreme Court heard a challenge to racial preference in college admissions, an expedited review of Biden's questionable executive order to write off almost half a trillion dollars of student loan debt, and a question of free speech. We will start with the most controversial case involving racial preference programs and college admissions. Along the ideological lines, six justices to three brought an end to the use of racial preference in college admissions. The case was brought by an organization representing Asian American students who were denied admittance they would have otherwise gained if not for the use of race as admittance criteria at Harvard University and the University of North Carolina. Did the highest court get this decision right and what are the implications on society now that affirmative action in higher education is no more? 
these decisions can be life-changing rulings that can alter our society. It is important to not just look at what the ramifications of this decision are, but what are the factors that led to the case even existing. Was the decision drawn from the facts of the case? The issue the justices who voted to end affirmative action seemed to take was the use of action that are discriminatory in nature to somehow fight the effects of discrimination in society. Using race as a deciding factor does not end racism but reinstalls it in a different form. I was fond of the quoted line that an unconstitutional act cannot make something constitutional. The ends justifies the means is no longer a valid view. Was the decision obviously drawn from the facts presented? According to the ruling, Harvard University and the University of North Carolina factored the race of the candidate in their evaluation of the candidate and considered the overall racial breakdown of the admitted class. Therefore, students that would have been admitted based on merit lost opportunities in favor of candidates elevated based on their demographics and being a member of the underrepresented grouping. The prevalence of race in the process appears obscene. People should neither attain economic benefit due to their race nor suffer economic loss due to their race. Affirmative action creates harm as one side will lose opportunities earned on merit in favor of a candidate who one can reasonably assume is the best of the bunch of people from the demographic group of the month. But since race is a factor throughout the process, one cannot be so sure that the race-preferred candidate is actually qualified by merit. Diversity is important in our society, economy, and culture. We do not want to see people continue to be overlooked and denied opportunities that they deserve simply because they look different than the person reviewing their application or that the person recruiting is not comfortable with their cultural background. At the same time, I agree that it was time to end or move past affirmative action. There was clear and consistent evidence that this created real harm. But many did not care because it challenged what was viewed as settled dogma. But we need to acknowledge when the facts change and there is clear, consistent, and convincing evidence that the status quo is not acceptable. Affirmative action outlived its usefulness and its welcome. Change was needed and the Supreme Court decided it was time to peel the band-aid. This should not be considered a setback in our push for diversity. If America needs racism to fight racism, then we have no hope for the future. Many Americans understand the need for diversity. We need to acknowledge this, build on it, and move forward with ideas that promote racial harmony in a balanced manner. The risk when decisions like this one comes down is that the Supreme Court will unwillingly provide space for those who wish to put their finger on the balance of racial fairness to skew results back towards those in the majority. That is a real concern. A legitimate fear by those who genuinely feel that people who hold hate in their heart, bias in their minds, and ethics absent from the souls will be able to continue with bias systems that undermine efforts to achieve diversity. Many organizations promote diversity to customers, investors, and other stakeholders. Yet, many will still give preferential positions exclusively to those within their network and fast-track careers of those related to them or share a connection with them. In fairness, there are many people who push for these same divisive practices as the answer to our issues. Many people believe that once a minority holds a position of power, they too must staff their teams with people of the same demographic categories as themselves. On a recent piece on ESPN, a panel of black general managers was asked why a white coach in Kevin Stefanski was hired if the expected outcome would be that black general managers would increase the number of black head coaches. The Minnesota Vikings general manager eloquently replied that Kevin Stefanski got the job because he was the best candidate. And that is what the core of the issue really is. The best candidate should get the job. Not because demographics were used to eliminate competition or elevate candidacy. The quality of record, experience, and reputation should matter more than the characteristics we have no control over. Did the court get the decision right? I think we have to agree because race was a deciding factor in admission. That is not right.
I think people would not have a problem if you allowed the merit-based admission process to take place and then added onto the class if the diversity was lacking. How should colleges and universities respond to the decision? I'm sure that the colleges and universities will still have the same goals and objectives to admit classes that reflect the demographic breakdown of society. Race will no longer be able to be an overt factor in admission. But we can assume that it will play a factor still. Just in a less obvious manner that cannot be documented. I think the approach of expanding the class size to afford opportunities for minority students if the class is not as diverse as expected. But I think colleges and universities will go further. I expect many will start to look at criteria that can reflect bias differences and seek to adjust the importance of them. We know that white students have better access to college prep programs free of charge than minority students. That is simply a factor. So you have students that are more prepared for presenting the factors that colleges will look for in prospective candidates. I think admission officers and committees may decide to expand or alter criteria used to evaluate the admission. They can no longer use race. But they can use other factors that can allow them to make reasonable assumptions that the students they admit will reflect the desired diversity. The same practice some use to protect the status quo of their organizations. I agree that expanded criteria will be used to evaluate students. I think schools may also consider changing their pipeline of candidates. Schools may seek to market differently to increase applications from people of color. The ruling does not allow admission officers to consider race as a factor. Schools that consider life experience such as working or life challenges that they had to overcome while still maintaining their academic record will be able to increase the number of minority students because people of color tend to be forced to supplement their family's finances than their white counterparts. That does not mean there are no whites that have to overcome considerable adversity or work at an early age. But many people of color are not working to simply add something to a college application. Rather they are ensuring that they are able to offset the cost of decisions they played no part in making. This could apply across the board, which would make it a fair criteria for evaluating admission. Joe Biden was somewhat certain that he lacked the authority to unilaterally write off the balances of student loans without an act of Congress. So he thought that he found an obscure enough loophole and for an amount that might be considered not worth fighting. Some may say if you are going to do something like this you might as well go big or go home. Write off the whole balance to sway public opinion and see if the Supreme Court would overturn it then. We saw them fall short when reviewing the Obamacare tax classification. I think the move was a clear overreach from the very beginning. I think any rational and objective person expected that Biden would negotiate with the then-democratic-controlled Congress to work out some sort of agreement. Even if the relief that they could agree to was only the $10,000 or $20,000 plan that was released in the ill-fated executive order, then there would be relief provided in a legitimate manner. But that takes leadership, effort, and influence. I take great issue with a president taking what he perceives as the easy way out to get a cheap headline rather than really addressing an important issue. There is a great potential for a student loan bubble because student loan debt is consolidated with federally backed loan pools. There is little political courage to truly address the issues that escalate the cost of student loan debt and how colleges burden students with costs that may not truly be associated with their educational experience. Rather the easy way out some perceive is to address who bears the responsibility for the bill. The proponents of debt relief believe that simply because the balances are high that borrowers should not have to live up to their end of the deal that they made. I think there may be areas to focus rather than simply writing off the principle of the debt. Why not reduce the impact of the interest that would be charged? I think there should be common ground on addressing the interest impact or capping the variable aspect for certain loans. I believe people should pay what they owe and honor their commitments. 
There are millions of people who did just that who will not benefit at all from the effort to provide relief, which is unfair to the people who do the right thing. I do think there are legitimate situations where debt relief is warranted. Someone who has made significant contributions to society in a role that does not pay much. Sacrificed economic gain for social benefit. Not so much someone who maxed out their loans to take trips during winter and spring breaks and now expects taxpayers to foot the bill. Taxpayers should not be on the hook for people who simply do not want to pay for the cost of their own choices. Political leaders should not do something they know they lack the power to do simply for political gimmicks and photo ops. The final case involved a local artist who did not want to provide service to a same-sex couple because it violated her religious beliefs and her free speech. This was already settled in a past Supreme Court case involving a baker that also did not want to violate his religious views. There really are not any mainstream religions that ban business transactions with same-sex people. At the same time, I do think certain business ventures can make it seem like the proprietor endorses something by providing a service. The Supreme Court took the question of this case from the perspective of does the speech rights of the individual people supersede the societal goal of equality? They ruled that the state cannot force an individual person to violate their own free speech freedoms in favor of the state-preferred position. Not really a question of whether same-sex couples should be served or not. But essentially, a person cannot be compelled by the state to violate their own free speech. Some states try to have rigid standards on whether religious exemptions are applicable. Some require that the person must prove the sincerity of their faith. Although, many mainstream religions do not ban kindness to what they may label as sinners. But some may view that as aiding and abetting sin if they do anything that advances the behavior deemed a sin. But we do have precedent in America where many businesses refuse business due to political views. As I mentioned before there are businesses who refuse to serve Trump voters. They never face litmus test requiring them to prove the sincerity of their political beliefs. I think it is easy to say that a business owner should take the money and just provide the service. But I get the concern that it may associate you with an act that you find personally objectionable or that your core customers may find repulsive. I do not agree with the dissenting justices that this creates an open call for discrimination. Why should the religious be able to be discriminated against and be compelled to violate their views? Especially when the customer can simply choose another place to patronize? I think the issue was settled in the case of the baker. It would be one thing if there were no other options available to the same-sex couple. Then one might be more willing to compel service. That is not the case and that matters. I typically prefer to do business with people that want to do business with me. Compelling someone will not get me the service quality I want or the experience I feel comfortable paying for. But, when it comes to perceived bias issues, there is a feeling that one must get revenge. Instead of just finding another service provider, they want to force the one that does not want to do business with them because it makes them feel like they are powerful. Even if they get subpar service. I do think the examples with businesses refusing service for politics is a reasonable comparison because politics are strongly held principles just like religion. The progressive hypocrisy is a convenient counterargument. I think there are many people who would say just take the money. I guess you could take it one step further and prohibit any social media promotion associating them with the event. But you could expect that the party could potentially violate that clause. The Supreme Court got the decision right and the dissenting justices were just completely radical in their claims. In closing, I hope that you are enjoying this national holiday with friends, family, and those close to you. As always, I thank you for experiencing the Christopher Peter Review in this special podcast episode. Please continue to visit weekly for new podcast episodes and daily for commentary. Until next time.